0: account is up and running, and I'm setting a goal of 200 a month by the end of 2016. Let's help each other. P.S. iTunes reviews. iTunes reviews. See you again next week with a special preview episode of Next Northwest Rock for Rockwood event featuring the Thermals, Emily Wells, and the Waddles Boys and Girls Club. Till next time. One, two, three, uh-huh.
1: Grow PDX is a show focusing on horticulture, community food systems, and agriculture. Today on GrowPDX, we're talking about the Backyard Habitat Certification Program with Nikki West of the Audubon Society of Portland and Susie Peterson of Columbia Land Trust. If you have a question you want our experts to answer, call 503-233-9729. We'd love to hear from you. Those numbers again, 503-233-9729, or you can text at 971 220 5979. And now we turn to the host of Grow PDX, Weston Miller.
2: Welcome to Grow PDX and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Weston Miller of OSU. To start the show today, I want to picture yourself walking or rolling down a street in your neighborhood and you happen upon a home with a nice looking yard. It looks like a somewhat managed but also a little chaotic yard. Looks a little bit bit like nature. And you notice a handsome sign with a bird that says backyard habitat certification in process. Well, this scene, which can be seen all over Portland and some other towns in the metro area, is the work of Backyard Habitat Certification Program, which is managed cooperatively by the Columbia Land Trust and by Audubon Society of Portland. And to help us to learn more about the Backyard Habitat Certification Program and Backyard Habitats in general, we'd like to welcome Nikki West and Susie Peterson to the show. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Weston. And if you have a question for us during this half hour of Grow PDX, we would love to hear from you. Give us a shout at 503-233-9729, or you could text 971-220-5979. Nikki West, let's start with a basic question. What's
1: the Backyard Habitat Certification Program? Yeah, so the Backyard Habitat Certification Program is a program that operates in many areas of the Portland metro area um, in the cities of Portland, Gresham, Lake Oswego, and Fairview. And we're providing education, technical assistance, encouragement, and incentives to mostly uh, single-family residential homeowners that want to improve wildlife habitat in their yards and garden sustainably.
2: Excellent. And Susie, let's say I'm interested in getting my yard certified. How does the program work?
1: Sure. First, you
0: would uh, want to sign up for the program. You can do that on our website. Okay.
2: Give the give us the address, please.
0: Okay. BackyardHabitats.org.
2: Okay. That's easy to remember. BackyardHabitats.org. And once they get there, what will people do? A form, I take it?
0: Yeah. There's an online form they can fill out with their address and contact information. And what that will do is it will prompt us to send out one of our site technicians. Uh, They'll come out and they'll schedule a time with you to come out and assess your site, look at what you have, where progress could be made based on what your goals are. And um, from there, they will uh, send you a report that provides lots of information, lots of um, links to sites and other Um, resources so that people can put together a plan for their garden. So the site assessment really helps with that planning. Okay, so the
2: site assessment is sort of a a benchmark where you are now and then you plan out how you can improve the habitat of the yard for the future. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's Mm -hmm. really cool. And what's the
2: geographic reach of the program? How many backyard habitats are there in the metro area?
1: Actually, it's pretty impressive. We have about 3,600 backyard habitats in the metro area. Wow. Um, not all of those are certified. A lot of them are on their way. They're their taking way. steps, okay. and um, they're they're getting it done. So all those yards really do add up to a lot of area.
2: Okay. Nikki, could you provide a su- success story about how backyard habitat both improved the habitat value of a yard and also empowered a homeowner?
1: Yeah. Um, I feel like we hear these stories all the time where people tell us that, since they've been doing this work, they're seeing more birds, they're seeing more bugs, they're seeing more bees, and they're excited about it. Um, I think that some of that is, some of it is that there really are more birds and bees and bugs in the yard, and I think some of it is that people are just out there noticing it more. Well, that's a um, good thing. and I think that that's a win on both yeah, accounts. I,
2: I would agree. Yeah,
1: but one woman I can mention, her name is Gwen. She lives in Southwest Portland, and she signed up about, gosh, probably about six years ago. And when she signed up, she had this huge Southwest Portland yard filled with blackberry and ivy and all these invasive weeds. She started pulling them out. She actually found a shed in her yard that she didn't know was there when she bought the property. Um, And then she installed a lot of native plants and beautiful vegetation and within a couple months her neighbors who she hadn't met yet actually took down their fence because they wanted to start enjoying the habitat that she was creating. And so she was seeing a lot more wildlife and making better relationships with her neighbors along the way. Awesome.
2: That is a good success story. And Susie, what are the backyard habitat certification criteria?
0: Sure. Well, it depends on what level you're aiming for. We've got the lowest level is silver, and then you can work up to gold and eventually up to platinum, which is the highest level. But there are five basic elements that we, um, that we encourage people to, to look at and strive for, and that is removal of invasive weeds, planting of native plants, Uh, pesticide reduction, stormwater management, and wildlife stewardship. Those are the five basic elements. Okay,
2: and we'll get into each of those as the show goes on. Nikki, how did you first get involved with Promoting Habitat?
1: You know, um, I've been working around <laughs> around wildlife and habitat for most all my life. I'm from rural northern Michigan, so my folks are big conservationists, and my mom's a huge bird watcher. I think she never expected I was going to grow up and work for the Audubon Society. Um, but uh, in my recent, you know, in my recent career, I've spent the last ten years doing watershed council work, native plant education, um, and then eventually about five years ago, started working with the Audubon Society and. I love talking to urban and suburban folks about what they can do to support wildlife.
2: Awesome, sounds like it's in your blood then. And Susie, how about you? How'd you get started with promoting habitat?
0: Well, I grew up in the woods in southwestern Washington. We had about 10 acres of all forested um, land and so I spent most of my time outside kind of puttering around checking out the trees, the wildlife out there, and that's just stuck with me. I've always been really interested in wildlife and and plants and so um, uh, previous to this job I worked at Friends of Trees, a really great organization and and through that I learned that um, I really enjoy the aspect of engaging the public in conservation work and so that's that's really kinda where my passion for promoting habitat came from.
2: That's cool. And I would add to that, getting people to go outside and putter in their own yards is perhaps the best uh, goal of all of it. Yeah. You're listening to Grove PDX on X-Ray FM. I'm Weston Miller. We're joined by Nikki West and Susie Peterson. They're with the Backyard Habitat Program. If you have a question for us about the program or about habitat and how you can create it, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a text at 971-220-5979. And Susie, what are invasive plants, and why should we be concerned about them?
0: Invasive plants are plants that are really good at outcompeting uh, our native plant species. Native plant species provide a lot more um, benefit to our local wildlife, and so when invasives outcompete those and take over, we're in effect minimizing the amount of um, of habitat for for our local uh, species, so it's it's really important to make sure they don't take over, and and they have done that in, in a lot of areas. So it's good to keep them in check.
2: They sure have. And Nikki, you mentioned blackberry and ivy as invasive plants. They're pretty problematic. What are a couple other ones that people should be looking out for?
1: Um, we've got Scotts broom. We've got yellow flag iris. Uh, certain species of nap weeds, spurge laurel. I mean, the list really goes on and on. There's a lot of common ones that people know of, like the blackberry Mm -hmm. and the ivy. Then there's a lot of less common ones that we're trying to teach people about because they're not very prevalent yet, but we're trying to keep it that way.
2: And the good news is that there's lots of agencies who are willing and able to help folks if they do have invasive weed problems on their property. So contact your local soil and water conservation district as a starting place. Now Susie, ivy is a really nasty invasive plant and it can be really difficult to deal with. I'm guessing most everyone has tried to pull some out before. (laughs) Uh, Give us a couple quick guidelines on how to handle ivy.
0: Sure. I would say physical removal of the vines and the roots can be one of the most effective ways to do that if you have clear access to the ivy. Um, there, You can use chemicals, but really uh, this is a situation where I feel like most of the time you don't need to, and so just getting out there and pulling it yourself uh, can really do the most good. They can take over trees, so if you can remove it from around the base of the tree uh, and disconnect it from any upper portions, that can make a really huge difference.
2: Yeah, the idea is when there's uh, big branches of ivy going up a tree to pull it off the tree to cut a good like 18 or inches or 2 feet out of that, that exactly. uh, vine. And then the ivy that's in the tree will die and it'll still be there at the base, but you can keep it under control then. And then also, when the ivy sends up those vertical shoots, that's when it's gonna make those seeds. Then the bird spreads the seeds and the cycle goes on. Yeah. So please help if you have ivy, please deal with it. Yes. Nikki, native plants are a focus of the backyard ha- habitat program. Um, why are they so important part of habitat, especially in urban areas?
1: You know, there's um, an entomologist that works and lives on the East Coast. His name's Douglas Tallamy, and he's kind of a guru for backyard habitat. He's he's someone that um, a lot of folks have read his famous book, Bringing Nature Home. And one of the things that he writes about in that book is that... um, it's about 90% of insects are specialists that rely on native plants for their survival. so they can only eat native plants. So if you're seeing insects that are eating your ornamental plants, your dahlias, your all these other beautiful ornamental plants, it's really only that small 10% of insects that can eat anything that are generalists. right So if you want to truly support insects in your yard and you know by that also support, all of the other great things that eat insects, like birds right. and a lot of amphibians, um, you're going to want to have those native plants.
2: And Nikki, could you give us a couple of your favorites for attracting pollinators? Insects in general, let's say, um, insects that even eat the leaves of plants is is something we're encouraging on some level.
1: So um, as far as pollinators go, I love penstemons. I love fireweed, even though it's aggressive. Um, I love... Uh, our native sunflower, the hellenium, I, there's there's so many beautiful pollinator options. And then as far as just attracting all kinds of insects that birds are going to glean off of shrubs, um, vine maple is an excellent choice. Ocean spray is an excellent choice. Most all of our native shrubs, our native woody plants, are really wonderful those uh, birds that are going to be picking insects off of its stems.
2: Yeah, and thanks for pointing out shrubs, which are really more appropriate for urban and suburban type yards, whereas those super large trees aren't necessarily, unless folks want to have a whole lot of shade. And Susie, what does it mean for a plant to be native exactly, and how does the Backyard Habitat Certification Program define native?
0: Native uh, generally refers to uh, plant species that were likely to be found in the region prior to European settlement. And so we mostly stick with the Portland plant list um, in terms of what's considered native and, and how that definition um, works. Okay, so in the
2: Portland plant list, what is that exactly?
0: The Portland plant list is a list of plants that um, have been recognized by the city of Portland as being native to the Portland region. There are different different regions in terms of of nativity, (laughs) if you will. Um, There's the Willamette Valley, but for the backyard program, we stick with Portland proper because we have mountains on both sides. And so really this is kind of its own little little mini region. Okay,
2: and the Portland plant list is something that people can find online just by typing in that, that Correct. search term, yeah. and there's lots and lots of great plants, and yep. they're presumably going to be pretty well adapted to growing here because they're from our area of the northern Willamette Valley. Exactly. You're tuned in to Grow PDX on X-Ray FM. I'm Weston Miller. We'll be back in a minute. X Ray FM would like listeners to know that Oregon isn't an accident. Things that make it great, like iconic scenery, wonderful farmland, and walkable cities, depend on land use planning. This is the work of a 1000 Friends of Oregon, a nonprofit organization. Since 1975, 1000 Friends has worked for a beautiful, balanced, and productive Oregon. More information at friends.org. X-Ray FM would like listeners to know that Old McDonald's Farm
1: Incorporated is a nonprofit organization that uses animals and agriculture to teach and reach Portland-area children. Information on day visit programs, summer programs, and Saturday Academy workshops is available at www.oldmcdonaldsfarm.org. Support for X-Ray FM comes from Portland Nursery. For over 100 years, Portland Nursery has provided Portland residents with a wide selection of healthy plants and expert gardening advice, community-oriented and family-owned portland nursery a passion for plants a nursery for plant people located on 50th and stark and on 90th end division
2: welcome back to grow pdx here is a public service announcement There's a free soil screening event this Saturday, October 15th, 2016 from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's a rain or shine event at the East Portland Community Center, 740 Southeast 106th Avenue, Portland, Oregon, 97216. We can test for heavy metals in soil. So take that soil sample now before it starts to rain really hard and spread it out on some newspaper or put it in a paper bag to dry. Bring that soil sample in a Ziploc bag, and we will screen it for heavy metals on the site, in, on site, including lead. Experts from Oregon Health Authority and DEQ will be there to help you Uh, to interpret the results and figure out ways to avoid heavy metal exposure in gardens. We'll be providing general gardening advice and blood lead level testing as well. There's kids activities and a couple classes starting at 10.30 a.m. and 12.30 p.m. Again, this is a free soil screening event for heavy metals in soils. It's at the East Portland Community Center, which is on bus routes 15 and 20. Spanish translations available. And to find out more information, go to Metro Master Gardeners on Facebook and look at our events tab. And now for our final segment on PDX, we're gonna return to our conversation with Nikki West and Susie Peterson, there with the Backyard Habitat Program. Susie, the Backyard Habitat Program also promotes pesticide reduction. How do pesticides affect backyard habitat specifically?
0: Sure. Pesticides are, they're very harmful to wildlife, uh, pets and people really they people tend to think of them as being pretty specific to a spe- to a certain pest but they usually aren't they usually kill anything good or bad yeah there's a
2: couple of spe- uh, very targeted pesticides out there but you're right yeah. by and large they kill numerous different kinds of insects
0: yeah and some of those insects are good and you want you know you're going to be better off if you keep them around and so um, so we promote pesticide reduction to um, help those beneficial insects, and in the meantime, you're also keeping the pesticides from infiltrating the wa- our water sources and so forth. So, um, and it's, what it's are what are some
2: strategies specifically, Susie, that people can take to reduce or eliminate their use of pesticides?
0: one good thing they can do is plant native plants which because they because they originated from here they do a lot better without the use of pesticides okay so they're
2: adapted to our conditions
0: right they're adapted to our conditions Um, building healthy soils can make a big difference the healthier the plants are the less likely uh, they are to be attacked by pests and uh, removing weeds and pests by hand instead of spraying them is uh, a pretty easy thing to do as well.
2: Most of the time, and sometimes it's tough with weeds, but (laughs) yeah, absolutely. And I would also add to that just tolerating damage. So Mm -hmm. if you're creating a habitat, there's some sort of dynamic equilibrium going on. And unless there's major damage on any one plant, then just living with it. And then if there is major damage on any one kind of plant, then maybe thinking that's Mm -hmm. not the best plant to Mm -hmm. be growing. And moving on and planting someone else that something else that will do well, because there really are so many great plants that are relatively easy care. Yeah. And in addition to the natives that you all mentioned, I would throw in things like rosemary, lavender, etc, yeah. that are good at attracting pollinators. They smell good, really, really easy to grow.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now Nikki, the backyard habitat program also promotes stormwater management. Why should people care about what happens to stormwater that falls on their property?
1: Well, everyone knows that it rains a lot here, so we have a pretty high volume of rainwater, and as our city continues to densify, um, more and more of that water falls onto the surfaces of buildings, streets, sidewalks, other impervious areas, and is running off. Um, That runoff picks up a lot of contaminants along the way, and it has to be managed by some pretty costly and an impactful infrastructure in our streets. And so the idea is that we want to encourage people to take the stormwater that's falling on your property, that's falling on your roof, that's falling on your gardens, on your driveway, and figure out ways to have all of that water infiltrate into the ground in your yard. And it's
2: what are some practical ways people can do that in uh, urban, suburban setting?
1: Well, It's a good plug for uh, having people sign up for the Backyard Habitat Program because we can send a technician out to your yard that can give site-specific advice. Um, But rain gardens are a great solution if it's appropriate for your yard, if you have the right infiltration rates. Um, Sometimes just as simple as disconnecting your downspouts, again, if it's appropriate for your yard. Um, And then there's some more sophisticated things that people do, like flow-through planters. Um, eco roofs, etc.
2: And, you know, the flow through planters and otherwise, when new houses are created these days, stormwater management is more or less required on site mm-hmm. in the city of Portland. So that's a good thing. But if you have an existing house, there are some retrofits you can make to get the stormwater to not just go in a pipe into the, the stormwater system, but to there infiltrate on site. And then for me, the great thing about that is you're providing water for the plants that will love it mm-hmm. come next summertime if mm-hmm. you get water infiltrated really deeply and you have a lot of organic matter in the soil creates a nice big sponge and creates a nice really healthy situation for some of those native shrubs like um, ocean spray and things like that to grow.
0: Yeah, great point.
2: Now Nikki, uh, cats are a serious problem. They're predators, of songbirds, and other wildlife. How can people manage their cats to be wildlife friendly?
1: Yeah, cats are a serious problem. Um, but at the same time, we want to recognize that this is a really sensitive issue and that cats are also amazing companion animals. Um, and many, many staff at the Audubon Society have and love their domestic house cats. So I yeah. want to make sure it, that it, there's, a, there's a balance there. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of people are surprised to learn that Portland Audubon has a longstanding relationship with the Feral Cat Coalition of Oregon. Um, we both want what's best for the animals that we love. Um, so... A lot of the birds that come into our wildlife rehab facility at the Audubon Society have been cat caught. <clears throat> um, often birds that strike windows, unfortunately, then are stunned and become prey to free roaming cats. So it, it really is a pretty enormous problem. It's estimated to be one of the largest factors that contribute to bird mortality in our country. So some of the things that you can do to um, kind of stave off this is keep your cat closer to home. Um, Keep your cat indoors. If it's not practical to keep them indoors 100% of the time, keep them indoors during bird nesting season more often, during morning and evening times when birds are most active. Um, And just, yeah, give your cat a longer, healthier life closer to home.
2: Okay, and then also catios. Tell us about catios. Uh,
1: yeah, so catios <laughs> are really catching on. Um, catios are an outdoor cat patio. It looks similar to a chicken coop. It's usually attached to people's homes through some kind of skywalk, or or sometimes people just carry the cat outside and put it inside so the like catio. So like a doggy door that goes yep, into a pipe, and the exactly. pipe goes out into yep.
2: the, the cool little covered patio area for the cat. Yep. There's perches and things for People do all kinds of
1: creative, fun things. Um, We host an annual catio tour to educate people and showcase these structures. Um, This year was the fourth annual, and we had over 1,300 people register and travel around and view these structures.
2: Do you know how many catios there are in Portland?
1: I don't. um, I would say right now probably only a couple dozen, but it's growing. But it's
2: something that people are interested in. Now, Susie, to run the Backyard Habitat program, so this is a program run by two nonprofit organizations. I imagine y'all are relying on grants and other sources of funding. How does all that work? And then I also understand that there's a small fee for folks to sign up for the program, too.
0: <clears throat> yeah, there is a small fee. Uh, it's $35 right now, and um, that you get a whole List of resources that come along with that, including coupons that, if you use them, usually adds up to a savings of over thirty-five dollars. So it's it's a really um, financially beneficial program. Um, in terms of funding for the program, uh, there are, there are quite a few different resources that we have. We we have uh, some some local grants and some private grants. Uh, so it it is a it is largely grant funded. Okay. Um, yeah.
2: Okay, but you all are able to make that work, and you two are the main employees of the Backyard Habitat Program, and then you also have a bunch of technicians, and those are both volunteers and s- staff, I take it?
1: Yeah, the first visit that gets done, the site assessment, that's always done by um, program staff. Okay. So those are some really highly skilled folks. Actually, many of them are um, landscape designers or, or consultants in their in their private second life. Okay. Um, And then when you have follow-up visits to your yard, those are all done by volunteers. Those are done
2: by volunteers. Okay, so it takes a village of folks to certify (laughs) backyard habitats, I take it. Nikki, tell our audience something surprising, something that we might have missed about habitat or wildlife in urban areas.
1: You know, one thing I think people um, often don't know is that the majority of our native bird species here in the local area actually nest in shrubs, not in trees. So it's just a a new plug for that. Uh, making sure you have a really strong shrub layer in your yard. If you have a back area or a side yard or a fence line that you could turn over to be a kind of thicket area for, for birds. Okay. And how about
2: it. like three or four shrubs to go in that thicket?
1: Oh, some great shrubs. Um, let's see. Ocean spray, Indian plum, red flowering Currant, twin berry. Depends on your soil moisture and sun.
2: Nine bark would be another Snowberry. great choice. Um, let's see. Okay, lots of other good choices. <laughs> now, Susie, how about you? Tell us something surprising, something interesting that we might have missed about backyard habitat.
0: One of the more surprising things that I can think of. Uh, w- hopefully, this is r- answers the question you're looking for. But uh, is that nature and habitat? improve our lives as well as the lives of the habitat that we're focusing on as well uh, as as the animals that we're focusing on. There are lots of new studies now coming out about the connection between health and nature so when you are getting out into the garden and um, working out there you're really you're really benefiting yourself and, and your own health as well. So I, I find that to be really surprising, just the the secondary benefits.
2: Yeah, getting people outside, engaging with soil and plants, and just smelling the fresh air is a really, definitely a good thing. And in closing, Susie, what inspires you the most about the, about the Backyard Habitat program?
0: The most? Uh, I'm inspired by how the program brings communities together. Uh, I'm I'm amazed by we have a there's a Friends of Backyard Habitat Facebook page where participants just on their own put together this Facebook page and they connect all the time about um, specific plants that they have questions about and and resources and I think that's really cool I think I get uh, that feed
2: on Facebook and I'm always kind of surprised that I learn something pretty yeah, much every week they're
0: it's, amazing it's
1: cool. yeah it's really cool.
2: And Nikki, how about you? What inspires you the most about your work with the Backyard Habitat Program?
1: It's definitely the people. It's like Susie said, there's quite a community behind this. It's the participants and the volunteers and the technicians that are so passionate about this work and that find so much meaning in what they can do with maybe just 5,000 square feet. But that's, that's our slice of this earth, and there really is a lot that we can do on it.
2: Yeah, good point. So it's empowering for people to understand that they can really do quite a bit in their own yard and that that does quite a bit for nature. And then as Susie said, that does quite a bit for our own well-being as well. That's super cool. That's Nikki West and Susie Peterson with the Backyard Habitat Program. Thank you both for being here.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And
2: that's been Grow PDX on X-Ray FM for this week. The program is produced by Liam Flanagan and me, Weston Miller. Next week, we'll be talking about the International Rose Test Garden with Harry Landers. Please join us at our new time, 12 p.m., starting next Wednesday, October 19th. And you can always find us at Grow PDX at X-Ray FM and Grow PDX on Facebook. Thanks so much for joining us. Take care.
1: Listening to KXRY Portland at 107.1 and 91.1 FM, streaming online everywhere at x